I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And today, and like always, I'm joined with my husband and co-host, Josiah. Josiah, how are you doing? Doing great. Micah, how are you? I'm doing great. I have a cup of coffee. I have a grapefruit sparkling water and regular water. So I think I will be well hydrated during this time. So I am ready to go. Good hydration sequence. <laughs> All you're missing is like orange juice or something like that. But this is awesome. You'll be caffeinated. You'll be rejuvenated. And hopefully our listeners are too. Yes. They're tuning in on the road, in their office, um, in their small groups, whatever they're doing and however they're tuning in. We just want to say hey to you. Hope that you're doing well. Josiah, we have a fun uh, guest today who has written a book that we literally just received in the mail. I have yet to read it, but I've heard nothing but good things about this guest. And without further ado, who is behind the closed door today? Yeah, well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, depending on the time you're listening to. We're joined today by Trevin Wax. Trevin is a vice president at Lifeway Christian Resources. He's a regular columnist at the Gospel Coalition. He's a former missionary to Romania, which is pretty neat. Mm -hmm. We'll get to talk about that. And he has contributed to the Washington Post, Religion News Services, World, and Christianity Today, which, by the way, named him one of 33 millennials shaping the next generation, fits right into this podcast and our passion. And he's the author of a few books named This Is Our Time, as well as his newest book we'll talk about today called Rethink Yourself. I'm holding our copy and uh, we just got it at 6 p.m. in the mail last night. But Trevin, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us today. Hey, I'm really glad to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. We are so excited that you're joining us. I'm really glad that Josiah did your introduction because I saw millennials and I thought I said millionaires. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I'm not the one that flubbed up. So that would have been my wouldn't, wouldn't we rather, wouldn't you rather be a millionaire than a millennial? But hey, yeah, we'll take three, millennials. That's that's three millionaires. That'd be amazing. <laughs> you will be rich in God's kingdom. Let's just say that. That's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. Trevin, well, we want the listener to tune in and just kind of hear about where you are, your story. So you just start off by sharing some of your story, maybe the journey of your life, faith, leadership, family with us, and also with our audience today. Sure, sure. Well, I grew up in Middle Tennessee uh, in a Christian family, Christian home, um, you know, went to church from the time. I really don't ever recall a time in life where our family wasn't involved in church. And as a teenager, though, there comes this time where you have to, um, you have to own your faith for yourself. Like it can't okay. be your parents' faith. It can't be your grandparents' faith. You have to really and come into your, to your own, so to speak. And for me, I was, uh, it was a Disciple Now weekend in ninth grade wow. where I was already a believer, but it, it was like, it clicked with me that, hey, if, if this Jesus thing is real, it really changes the direction for the rest of my life. Right. Like this is going to really matter for the rest of my life. Uh, and shortly after that, I uh, went on my first mission trip as a teenager. I always say mission trips as teenagers, whether you're going into, you know, different places in the United States or whether you go cross-cultural. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was my first mission trip to Romania, and um, uh, it was very formative. I went every year after that with our church when we would go. And then when I was 19, it was 20 years ago last month, I bought a one-way ticket and moved there. And uh, lived there for five years, met my wife there. We had our son during that period of time. 
And, uh, um, you know, I really, I, I feel like I cut my teeth on ministry in Romania. We came back after that, um, did seminary for a little bit, and then was on staff at a, at a church. And 10 years ago now, almost 10 years ago, uh, started this journey at Lifeway, uh, helping to start a curriculum called The Gospel Project, which may be familiar with some of uh, your listeners, and also um, helped launch the CSB translation, the Christian Standard Bible, a new translation that came out a few years ago. So, uh, and now I get to, I serve as a vice president for theology and communications and get to, to be involved with Lifeway research and just ha- get to work with great, great teams at Lifeway. So that's kind of in a nutshell, how we come to this conversation today and this book. That's awesome. And I look at Trevor, one thing that you talked about is like missions trips and whether a student or a young adult, like I grew up in Minnesota, so I look at like my vantage point when I was 18 years old is I had been, you know, traveled within the continental U.S., but I had never been outside of America. Mm-hmm. And then I was 18, similar to you, went on my first missions trip right after high school graduation, and it dynamically changed my worldview, my life, um, just had a bigger view of for sure the world, but also God and his kingdom and just this global heart. And just the Great Commission, understanding in the whole new global context. And so I think that for listeners and learners and leaders, like if they have not been on a mission trip, that is something that we would highly encourage Mm -hmm. to just take advantage of. You also mentioned just the dynamic uh, movement of Lifeway Christian Resources. And um, Mike and I are huge fans. Can you just tell us, dive one step deeper into any direction you want to go, but what's been your experience like working there? Yeah, so I, I mean, it's been a it's been a really fast moving ten years. There's been so much change just in the overall church landscape and practice of you know what church practices are like. Um, but then there's also been a lot of change at, at Lifeway. But I, I was brought on by Ed Stetzer, who's yeah. a columnist at Christian Today's at Wheaton College. Um, I, I'm a visiting professor at Wheaton College under no. um, and as part of Ed's Ed School, so um, the the Billy Graham School that he he oversees there. But um, he, Ed Sensor brought me on ten years ago. We had already connected because I was already writing. I had a I already had a book. I had another book coming out, and he and I knew of each other sort of through the blog world and where I was doing some writing. And he asked me, he was like, "Do you want?" He goes, "We we're going to start a curriculum that is going to be theologically robust, gospel centered, and mission driven." And, you know, at first I kind of thought, I don't know if I want to do something like that, but I do love editing and I do love writing and I do love starting new things. And so, you know, we just kept in conversation and then it it led to me coming on board. Um, So I, 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 my first, I guess, five years there was really focused primarily on uh, launching the gospel project, leading the teams that were over this kids, student and adult versions of that, um, really overseeing the content, just how events that we would do around it to promote it, things like that. Um, and then I moved into the Bible publisher role and that gave me, you know, the opportunity to lead a larger team, to be able to, to learn a different side of the business, uh, the, the business aspect of just, you know, these different resources that you have and, and promoting them and marketing them and then and creating them. And, and I do, there's something about like a physical Bible the way it feels like I care deeply about design. And so what I got to do with the gospel project, I got to actually apply to these Bibles we were, we were creating ourselves and working with our design team and other. And so that was, that was really an awesome experience as well. So I did that for a few years and now I'm in this new role that I'm still 
learning and working out, but it's, it's been one learning experience after another to where the very first time I start to feel like, okay, I kind of, I kind of get this now. I know what I'm doing. The job changes. And then it's like, Oh, got to learn again, you know, another mountain to climb. So it's been really exciting that way. I just love how God uses those, uses those opportunities because we're all supposed to be lifelong learners. When we get comfortable and confident in something, it's like he does shake it up a bit and like, oh, by the way, changing here, shifting here. Oh my gosh. So it sounds like a lot of life has happened um, in the last 20 years of your life. But um, we would love to know why do you do what you do? Like what gets you up in the morning? Yep. Yeah, so that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think the coffee first. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, after all the stuff you're drinking over there, I mean, I was, yeah, I like, you're definitely going to be well hydrated, but I was thinking we're going to have to like pause for a bathroom break at some point. No, no, no. I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, you know, I think the main thing that gets me up and that, that really motivates me is I just want to serve the church. Um, the, the church has a ministry, the church has a mission of making disciples. Um, and in any way I can, I want to be a servant of the church. And so what, one of the things I love what John Stott, the great theologian and global leader from the last generation, one of the things he said, and I don't know exactly where he said this, and someone told me though once that we should pray every day that we would have the opportunity to be engaged in the kind of ministry where our gifts and talents would be most exploited for the kingdom of God. Like where you're asking the question, not just what can I do, but asking the question, what am I really the best at that is going to make the biggest impact for, for the kingdom? And so, so that's, for me, it's, it's where can I serve the church? How can I serve the church? I mean, I, you know, for two and a half years, when our church was going through a difficult time, I was able to be the teaching pastor on top of all these other responsibilities. And I mean, just, you know, even though that was a, a hard couple of years, because it was a lot of responsibility it's, it's the service part of the church that I just, that, that motivates me. And so whether it's in writing, whether it's in speaking, preaching, editing, leading teams at Lifeway, for me, it's all about how do we, how do we help the local church do what she does best, make her more beautiful, make her the bride, you know, that, that, that Jesus uh, gave his life for, you know, that's that, how do we uh, serve the bride? Well, that is, I think the, the thing that, that keeps me, keeps me going even when days can be hard. That's awesome. Remarkable, Trevor, Trevor, because I just look at God said that he'd build this church and we're called to serve him and to be under shepherds, under the shepherd and the good shepherd. And so I just think that's phenomenal. And your role is one that you have a unique vantage point of the global church of the capital C church and also the church in America. And one of the themes of this podcast is the next generation and leaders. And so I'm just curious to tap into your life experience and, and just your vantage point. What do you see in regards to the next generation as it relates to the church? It could be themes, it could be patterns or, or trends. What are you seeing, especially with that college age and young adults? Yeah, it, you know, a lot of people, it's easy, I think, for us to divide people up into generational groups, you know, well, the, the, the boomers are this way, and Gen X is this way, and millennials and Gen Z or iGen or whatever we call the next generation. Um, and, and there's some, there's some, I think, some, um, some helpful ways in like looking at the different generations. Um, but I, I'm not, I don't see in the research that I have done on, on this, also in my own experience, I mean, we've got, we've got kids in our house that we're, you know, we're watching and seeing, 
I don't, there's not as much of a disruption between like the millennial generation and Gen Z as you might think when it comes to kids and teenagers today and, and what, what they're like. There are so, there are though some, some patterns um, and some things that are, are shaping this generation in ways that were different for especially older millennials. And one of the big ones is um, uh, just the prevalence and use of social media. I mean, almost everything is social media now. To even even like to the point, you know, that the Bible app, version is it in some ways a social media platform because you have friends and you, you share, you know, you can share, share verse squares and do designs and things. And then people can like and chat and comment and whatnot. And so where to where like even with like our seventh grade daughter, we've had conversations about, you know, just some of the anxieties that that creep up around social media sort of always being on and everything sort of you know, uh, us being concerned about image and performance and, and whatnot. And so I think that the prevalence of that and the not knowing what life is like without that is really strong among, among uh, young people. And it leads to this sense of a shifting identity that your identity can be made or remade again and again based on what you want to present to the world online. So this is something, and I get into this in the book a little bit, when we talk about identity, we're, we're talking about for a lot of younger people, something very fluid and this idea that there are endless choices available. So some of that sounds really exciting. You know, you can be whatever you want to be, right? You can do whatever you want to do. No one can tell you. I mean, some of that sounds like, yeah, I can just, I decide who I'm going to be and present that to the world. But there is a level of anxiety and fear that accompanies that because um, as you're doing that and as everyone else is doing that, you're always sort of self-questioning, is this, is this the right person? Am I, is this the best version of me? Is this, is this choice that I'm making to the way I present myself, is that the real me? Or are people just liking and applauding this sort of fake persona that I put on here? If I get criticized, how does that deal with my heart? Like there's, there's a, there are areas of anxiety that I think the younger generation uh, feels and that if we're going to be uh, good ministers to this upcoming generation, we're going to have to really dig into that and explore what what those areas of anxiety are, so that we can bring the gospel to bear on those, and we can help um, we can help the next generation be fortified and really defined as uh, um, just more substantive and solid than a lot of the people in the world around them, where sort of a superficiality or shallowness is kind of the the rule of the day. Yeah. Yeah, Trevin, I think that's fascinating because we have a friend who leads a ministry on a college campus and he comes across hundreds of young adults each and every single semester and obviously looks a little different this year, but he talks about something called image management Mm -hmm. and how taxing, exhausting, um, and just like devastating it can be for somebody to wake up and constantly feel like they need to reinvent who they are due to what social media says or somebody says about them on their social media. And yes, I do agree that it's our job to bring forth the gospel and like, what is, what does the word of God say about you? Who does God say you are and, and whose you are? Like to understand that as a young adult or even um, a youth student and even younger is very challenging in this day and age and to help them really look inward and upward. And that kind of just leads to that next question, Trevin, of what is the difference between looking up, looking around and looking inside? So can you just elaborate on those three different vantage points of 
self-discovery or self-reflection? Yeah. So, so this, this book, Rethink Yourself, it, I'm, what I'm trying to do, and this is something that comes apart, like what, what you guys were saying about cross-cultural ministry. One of the benefits of cross-cultural ministry is you get outside of your culture for a while. And then when you come back in, you can see things that you couldn't see before. Right. You know, like you start, you start to see things like, oh, I just always assumed that was just common sense or normal. And yet you find out it's not like that for everybody. <laughs> you know, other people look at the world differently. So one of the things I'm trying to do in the book is to contrast, really, I, I talk about three different ways, but I'm trying to contrast two different ways of looking at the purpose of life. So on the one hand, the common sense dominant way that people look in, it, in terms of priority, the way they look at life is this. You first look inside yourself mm-hmm. to discover who you are. You, you discover who you are by looking deep within yourself to see what your deepest desires are. Then after you look in, you look around at the people around you to affirm and applaud that self that you have discovered and that you have defined. And then if you want to have some kind of a spiritual dimension to your life, then you look up to God or to some transcendent or higher power or something like that. So the, in terms of priority, the way that most people in our world think about the purpose of life is you look in first, then you look around, and then if you want to, you look up for some kind of spirituality, okay? I, in the book, show that that's common sense. It's not common sense in other parts of the world. Other parts of the world start with looking around, like the community defines you first, right? Um, but, but in our culture, you, you're told to look in. You, only you can determine who you want to be and all that kind of thing. Well, then I'm going to, I contrast that with this counterintuitive approach that the Bible takes, which actually in terms of priority reverses that completely, that you first look up to God for who he has designed you to be, what he says, what his desires are for you and for the world, because that's actually what's going to bring you the most fulfillment. Then you look around to the community that he's placed you in, his people, what it means to belong, whose you are, like, like Micah said, and then you look in and in looking in, then you actually become the truest version of yourself. Wow. It's actually on the other side of self-denial. So Jesus says, you know, you know, our, our culture says you need to look inside to find yourself. Jesus says, no, you actually need to lose yourself to find yourself. You actually have to, you have to walk this road of self-denial and it's in that road of self-denial, not for its own sake, not like you're just going to be like a monk where you're sort of just refusing at any desires, but where your desires actually align with what God desires for you. And then you become the actual truest and best version of who God has called you to be. The, the kind of person that gives him the most glory and that also has the most joy in fulfilling that purpose. So I'm trying in the book to show the difference between the priority of you look in first, around, and then up to show that the Bible says, no, actually it's up first, around, and then in. God first, other second, you third. But counterintuitively, that's where you find your greatest fulfillment and satisfaction. Trevor, that is so good. And I can't wait to dive into that book. And I want to apologize that I haven't read it yet because it sounds very intriguing, even as this conversation goes. But I would just ask for the listener who's a pastor, who's a leader, or just somebody just popping in for the first time, how do we as humans eliminate the difference between, you use the word discover, like discovering who we are and discovering our character or maybe what we're good at. How do we manage the tension of what the world is saying? And this is how I want to, maybe it doesn't make sense, but discover versus create. You know, like we can create thoughts of God, people around us and ourselves and vice versa. How do we manage that tension 
of truly discovering the fullness of all those components that you talked about versus creating a facade or creating a character online that does not, you know, bode with the word of God or it truly isn't who we are. Can you just talk about that tension or does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this goes back to a fundamental fault line in Western culture. Is truth something that you create or invent, or is it something that you find and discover? Like this, this is a real, this is a real fault line in so many of our society's debates, because there are so many things in society right now where, because we do feel like we have this power of self-creation, it leads to all of these complicated issues that a lot of, I'm like my great grandparents, for example, the idea that you would change genders or whatnot, they would not, not even be able to like comprehend what are you talking about? Because they would see, they saw nature as something that's sort of given, right? That it's something that you, you find freedom with, by, by living within and according to the grain of the universe as it is, as it's presented to you, not as seeing nature as something that's infinitely malleable or something like that. What, what's challenging for us today is there are opportunities in which you can feel this sense of, I am creating a persona, right? I'm creating this. And there is something really, really um, initially exciting about that. But it does lead to a lot of those doubts and that just constant self-awareness and image management like you were talking about. Contrast that with this other, with what you said about discovering, discovering who you are. That means you need someone from outside of you to tell you something about you, right? That means, and I don't just mean God in the Bible, as good as that is. You also need people around you to be able to like speak truth into your life. One of the things I talk about in the book is how the notion of friendship has changed in our generation. Um, The old understanding of friendship was that you would have someone who was with you thick and thin through whatever it was that was you were going through, who would accept you no matter your warts and everything, but who also, there was an aspirational side. They want to bring out the best of you. And if that means that at times they have to rebuke you or have to tell you, listen, this is not the best you I'm seeing right here. I'm telling you as that was what friendship meant. Well, nowadays though, I think with the younger generation, one of the challenges we have is we expect our friends to just constantly be affirming us all the time in everything we do. Like, not only do you have to accept me, you have to, and not only do you have to, you don't, it's not just that you accept me in spite of my flaws or my warts, but you have to celebrate my flaws and celebrate my warts because that's part of who I am. You know, the aspirational side has really fallen. And so in order for us to really become the the best version of ourselves that God has created us to be, we need people from outside of ourselves, God and the standards that we find in his word, but then also the people of God that are around us to bring out the best in us, to actually correct us when we are going down a wrong path that actually is going to hurt us or going to make us a diminished version of who God has called us to be, but who also will cheer us on when we're doing the right thing, you know, when we're growing and becoming more of the person that God has called us to be. We need that. I think it's a more robust understanding of friendship rather than just the idea that you're going to have a cheerleader who's just going to constantly tell you what you want to hear about yourself all the time. Right. Totally. And I think that's one of the dynamics that Micah pointed out that you also shared about is just this idea that when you look at active social media users of any age, there is this sense that we are digitally and globally connected 24 Mm seven in a way that 
no other demographic has in history. And then there's this sense that even though we're so connected with a wide audience, there's this loneliness that's so prevalent. There's <clears throat> this idea of maybe a appearance of friendship on the outside that, hey, there's these followers or fans or you could call them friends, yet why do I experience this anxiety or depression or loneliness? And you see anxiety is off the charts in this generation. Loneliness, isolation, um, the, the feeling that no one believes in, mm-hmm. in just individuals. And so when you wrote Rethink Yourself, something that we talked about before the interview is actually that college students and young adults were on your heart. And will you dive into that, Trevin, and just like, with Rethink Yourself, why was that message so passionately on your heart for the next generation? Well, I think part of it is for me as a parent, right? So my, my, my wife and I, we got married young and we had our, our first son really early, I guess early for like, you know, what's like normal for seen as for millennials now. So like he's in 11th grade and is, and is um, um, 16 years old now. And so I'm thinking in a couple of years, he's gonna be in college. And I've, I've been able to have some good experience. Like I've done some you know, I've, in teaching and I've done some um, events at like Liberty University and other places. And so I've had these opportunities to interact with college students over the years. And I have found that as I've talked about this particular subject, it, it resonates with people because they feel like, okay, that's actually speaking to some of the areas of anxiety that I feel, some of the pressure points in, in my life. And so when I wrote the book, I... I, I actually wanted to take it a couple steps down, even from the stuff I've done on college campuses, to where I would actually say, okay, I don't want to just write a book for, co- for leaders or college ministers. I really want to write the book that a college minister could pass out to someone in their, in their, in their ministry. Love that. And know, and know that they could understand it all. So no Christian lingo, no like, you know, just no assuming that everyone has this understanding of the Bible. I started, and it was it's so exciting for me yesterday because the, the very first review I saw of the book was from somebody um, who is not a Christian. He's actually, he says he's spiritually inclined, but he's not a Christian. He was writing about the review. And I was really excited to see that because one of the things I hope to do with the book was to reach a younger generation than even than me, you know, that's, you know, 15, 20 years younger than me. And yet then really, mean not just assume that they have all this Bible knowledge, but could really come along and understand the message. And so it was exciting for, to, to me to see that the first review was from a non-Christian because one of my prayers has been that young Christians and just people that are interested, but not actually believers at this point would pick up the book and be able to read the whole thing and understand it all and be challenged by it. I think that's amazing for the person, like you just said, picking up the book Maybe not understanding the Christianese uh, lingo that we can use and kind of get lose them in the weeds. <laughs> right. But it'll be super fun to see how those reviews turn out and just how many people are touched by this book. Yeah. yeah. Um, believer. We call them pre-believers because we know that yeah. there's always an opportunity for them to say yes. So we never know who our next conversation is. And um, we've come to the point of our message uh, or a uh, what do you call this thing? Interview, conversation, I podcast. I just said service. Oh my gosh, I'm losing it. I got a cup of coffee over here. Uh, just like our final thoughts of five and five. We want you to think hard about these. There's no time to rethink because you get one minute for one question. So, okay. Trey, 
Are you ready? I think I am. I hope so. You did not, I, and just so everyone knows, I did not get these questions ahead of time, these five. So whatever <laughs> no. you're going to ask, um, it's going to be pretty off the cuff. It'll be amazing because we know that you're a brilliant mind who can think for himself. Okay, <laughs> Karen, if you could describe yourself in three words, what would those words be? Oh, um, driven achiever perfectionist. Hey, there you go. Self-aware. He's very self-aware. Enneagram three right there, the good and the bad. That's what that is. I love it. I'm a 98% number seven and 97% number three. So, I, so I, I'm, a, I'm a three wing four, which means I'm the more self-centered angsty type of the three. So just so <laughs> let the reader understand. I love it. And how about this, Trevor? Like in a similar note, words matter so much to us, to the listener, and also to you as a writer, as an editor, as somebody who really is a wordsmith. Mm -hmm. And are there any quotes, verses, or just words that you live by that are kind of anchors or themes or just really things that you're passionate about in your life? Yes, for more than, I mean, for as long as I can remember now, Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is the prayer I pray before every sermon I preach. So after we read the passage, I always pray that prayer as the prayer. And then it's also, there's a, there's a Fernando Ortega musical version of that song that has been like on my playlist for forever. That is uh, really meaningful to me. So I think that that verse kind of sums up, this is my, my prayer every day. Oh, I love that. Okay, question number three, Trevin. If you could ask us one question today, what would that be? This is the curveball. If you could ask us one, what would you ask? What is the one thing you wish that pastors and church leaders knew about the next generation that they seem to not get? Hmm. Totally. I think for me, what it comes down to is especially for like somebody who is in a leadership position, maybe board member, lead pastor, executive pastor, and they're really called by God to steward that. Mm -hmm. Again, they're an under shepherd, under the good shepherd. And um, I think that what I look at is so many of them fear the idea of a program for young adult ministry or college ministry. And there are elements of any ministry that are programmatic. But I, I think that many times they live in a fear that a church or, or a ministry like a young adult ministry, college ministry, would bring people in and become a church within a church. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sometimes a myth that leads to analysis paralysis. And you can, I would just ask instead, could you find ways that instead of launching a program, could you function more as a ministry, more as small groups, more as just incorporating them in the lifeblood of the church and serving on Sundays and serving everywhere from the door holder to the coffee, mm -hmm. to um, worship, to everything that you're doing, teaching, videos, announcements. Um, young adults really want to be engaged in everything like yeah. they want to participate and actively engage and contribute more than they want to consume and so i think if if leaders if we could all understand that one thing about the next generation i think it would 
lead away from a point where we're fearful Mm -hmm. and it would actually lead us to a point where we're curious about the next generation and excited and moving forward. That's great. I think my answer would be one thing I would say primarily this, I would encourage all leaders and individuals to recognize that the church has always invited people to their table you know, come to my table, come to my church, come to my, my, my. And I think this generation, I think millennials and younger, I think they, they need to be met at their table. Meaning if they want to meet in a coffee shop, I'm going to meet you in a coffee shop. If you want to meet at a Buffalo Wild Wings, I'm going to meet you at a Buffalo Wild Wings. Praise God. If you want to meet at Chick-fil-A, like I will meet you at Chick-fil-A. And to show that you're meeting them at their table physically, Um, You're emotionally there to support them in whatever capacity they may be lacking or really wrestling and to be able to sit at that table and have an open conversation. And as a leader or a pastor or a friend, however that situation rolls out is to ask them the hard, challenging questions that nobody else is asking them. How is your purity? Tell me your faith journey. Um, You say you're in a relationship with your boyfriend. Uh, Have you set up physical boundaries? Do boundaries mean anything to you? You know, and I think those are the questions, at least everybody that I've come across. And I went to two Christian universities. um, And I would say both of those were the same. One was about 15 years ago and one was about four and a half, five years ago. And it was a common theme that I've seen the last 15 years that young adults want to be asked the hard, challenging questions, and then they want the accountability. And I know that it's taxing for somebody um, as a lead pastor or a leader to hear that because they're kind of like that teenage attitude of like, well, chase me down and ask me the hard questions and I'm going to stiff arm you to pretend that I don't care, but I really just want to hug you because nobody else is caring about me. Nobody else has asked. And nobody else has ever prayed for me before. So I would say being able to meet young adults at their table, um, eliminate some of those barriers and boundaries um, that they could be wrestling with, struggling with, with a, with a big C church or the local church and whoever has hurt them in the process, or maybe they've never heard about, you know, young adult ministry. So that's one thing. <laughs> so that's great. Back to you, Trevin. I would just ask question number four of five. Um, This one is just all about maybe mentorship, discipleship, leadership, and honor. And just would ask you, um, I've never asked anyone else this question on the podcast, by the way, but was just writing these and just wanted to ask, who's been somebody that has maybe had a great impact on your life? Yeah. So uh, when I think of, I mean, first I'd, I'd say you know, my parents and grandparents that like, I have a heritage of faith and that's been a, that's been a, a, a starting point. Um, two pastors come to mind immediately that you wouldn't know their names, but the one I grew up under as a teenager, he was just a really good Bible preacher who pointed to Jesus. And like I, the way that I preach, the way that I teach, the way that I read the Bible has been formed, I think, by his preaching ministry in many ways more than people would would recognize. The other pastor is someone that I served alongside as an associate for several years. And I didn't, from him, it wasn't preaching so much as it was his manner with the, with the people, yeah. you know, how much he loved the people, how he cared for people, um, wanting to be there for people. I think that that is something I really took away from, from him. Uh, as far as from a leadership standpoint, uh, Eric Geiger, who I got to work alongside for seven yeah. years at Lifeway, wow. um, really poured into me as I and I got to I got to see Eric in action in a lot of ways, um, and from a leadership style um, 
just leadership principles I gleaned from him, even though our styles are, are not the same. Um, certainly though, one of the best leaders that I've, I've worked under. And then from an intellectual sort of standpoint, it would be Tim Keller. Um, Keller has mentored, you know, a, a bunch of people, I think in different ways. For me, it's been more book recommendations, you know, lengthy conversations on an occasional basis. Wow. Um, not, not really frequently or anything. I don't live in New York City. It's not like I've been around him all these years. But when Tim would set me down a path to say, hey, go do this, I, I would go down that path. And then, so rethink yourself this book actually, and Tim knows this, this is my attempt to take one of his, what I think one of his really important books, Making Sense of God, yeah. and to translate it down, so to speak, to where it's actually more accessible for just like the college student or anybody that would take it. I mean, this is its own book. It's not doing everything that Tim is doing, but some of the ideas about identity that are in Making Sense of God, I'm actually trying to put on a on a little bit of a lower shelf just for entry-level people who are maybe not reading uh, as, as intellectually as Tim. Um, and, and so I have been mentored by Tim in intellectually, I think, in the different books that he's recommended to me and the paths he sent me down over the years. Wow, he's a hero to us, for yes. sure. We have a lot of insight. And here is our last and final question, Trevin. And if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders one thing, what would you leave them with today? Jesus is better than the be true to yourself world that so many of our students are growing up in. Like Jesus is better. There's one, I would say that because it, the, as soon as you simply say, Jesus is right and everything else is wrong, you're actually missing the opportunity to show people not just the truth of the gospel, but the beauty of the gospel. Like it is true, it's also beautiful. And unless we really are convinced of the beauty of what it is that we're teaching and preaching, it's not going to actually catch on or be attractive with the world around us because we are not captivated by the beauty of it ourselves. So truth is beautiful. And I would tell college ministers, when we present the gospel, when we communicate the gospel, let's do so in a way that really showcases the beauty of Jesus, knowing not everyone's going to receive this message. And that's okay. We know that from scripture, but we're going to be as faithful as we can to be the best messengers we can be. That's beautiful. Karen, I think that's incredible. And my challenge to every leader and listener would be, don't get a copy of Rethink Yourself get a couple copies of Rethink Yourself because I think that there's power in reading and growing and learning. But to one of your points earlier, Trevin, like when you can surround yourself with others and ask questions or engage in this content together, I think it goes from a place of isolation to connection and just further conversation and, and both self-discovery and allowing other people the opportunity mm -hmm. to speak into your life and allowing God to speak into your life through others as well. So be sure to pick up, rethink yourself. I think that our thought life is so vital. I mean, you look at 2020, now into 2021, just the, the position that thoughts hold and the power that our thoughts of what you allow yourself to think about is vital. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. It's important. And it's a battle. Mm -hmm. It's a spiritual battle that Jesus has offered thoughts and and he says who you are so the truth about you is you are who god says that you are through the power of the spirit and the enemy has some lies to say as well and so your choice 
is what are you going to think about? What are you going to re-examine or rethink about? So, man, rethink yourself. Pick up a copy. And Trevin, thank you so much for a great conversation. Great to meet, great to connect, and great to chat today. Great to meet you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And listeners, you can find out more about Trevin Wax, Lifeway Christian Resources, and this latest book, Rethink Yourself, when you connect with us in the show notes at our website, www.youngadults.today, as well as across social media platforms. Mm-hmm. It's just at youngadults.today. Until next time, Happy New Year, right? So good. <laughs>Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.